0: Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au If you're trying to get pregnant, or you are pregnant, and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show, I'm Bridget Maloney.
1: And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney, and this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this.
0: Welcome, everyone. This is episode 37.
1: Welcome back, everybody.
0: Yes, and we're going to talk everything about the umbilical cord. can't believe we
1: got this far without talking about the cord.
0: You know why? Because (laughs) when we were very much starting out and we were recording in our bedroom... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did an umbilical cord. Ep. Oh, that's the one
1: we did back then. Yeah, yeah.
0: But um, it was all badly some, recorded. We had
1: some technical issues.
0: Yep. That's where we think, well, we're not experts at this, so we come to this incredible studio and have uh, Tom help us out. It also gets us here too, doesn't it, Pat? It's
1: been for the best all round.
0: Yes. All right. Good. So, what we're going to get straight into, I think, is uh, because the umbilical cord is fascinating. I love looking at the umbilical cord, even yeah. though I had to get over my slight phobia about looking at sort of bloody pictures. but. Okay. Yeah, nice. And it's vital.
1: Well, of course, that's a connection.
0: Yeah. So, Pat, tell me, like, let's start at the anatomy of the umbilical cord.
1: Yeah, it's actually it's quite an interesting structure and sort of beautifully adapted or designed to do exactly what it needs to do. Mm. In that cord is a, a vein, usually a vein and two arteries, and the vein is for bringing oxygenated blood from the placenta down to the baby. And then the two arteries pump blood back the other way, Mm. back up towards the placenta, deoxygenated blood. So the opposite of what it's like in in you and I. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So the vein is uh, larger and soft, and the two arteries are smaller and hard. And they're surrounded by some stuff called Wharton's jelly, which is like a shock absorber. Yeah, because the cord gets a little bit battered around. Baby grabs it and squeezes. Mm. Uh, can It'd get... be
0: like a little toy in utero, wouldn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah you can, well, you can see it on ultrasound all the time. They'll, if the cord comes past them, they'll grab it. Oh, wow. And so it needs to be a little bit shock absorbed. We don't want the babies squeezing, cutting off their own uh, lifeline. And it gets a little bit battered around by fetal movements and in labor. Yeah. So it's got that nice shock absorption to it. Yeah. And of course, it runs from the placenta, ideally from somewhere around the middle of the placenta, but occasionally over near the edge, yeah, down to the baby's belly button.
0: And does the strength of the attachment of the umbilical cord to the placenta, does that differ or does that matter?
1: Uh, There's some variations in anatomy and some of those are related to poor fetal growth. Yeah, right. So if you go for your 20-week scan and they can see that the cord inserts right into the middle of the placenta and everything looks very standard and normal, then typically we we wouldn't really need to re-scan that woman unless there was another problem. Mm. But if you've got something called a peripheral cord insertion where the cord inserts right over on the edge of the placenta, then there's some association between that and third trimester growth problems. Mm. So we typically have another look.
0: And so that's definitely picked up on ultrasound?
1: Yeah, it's part of what they should be looking for in a second trimester ultrasound. It's part of the, the worksheet yeah. um, that the sonographer goes through, tick off that they've... All the boxes. Yeah, so, yeah. and and where the cord inserts is important.
0: Mm. Mm. Now, hopefully when I we launch this episode, we'll put up a photo of a really big... I've got a beautiful photo of an incredible, thick, healthy-looking umbilical cord.
1: Yeah, so that's they're the ones we like to see. Yeah, um, And it, it can be really quite thick sometimes remarkably so the mm. cord is much bigger than you think yeah and then there are sometimes we see the cord unusually small
0: yeah
1: occasionally that's uh, you know in diameter and then sometimes that's um, so thin uh,
0: you mean like thin, thin. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: exactly and sometimes that's just normal just the way it is mm. but other times it can be associated with other problems so, so if a baby's too small the cord might be too small as well
0: right okay and so how do you assess like if Is that sometimes when you say it could be a problem, like what is the problem around a thin sort of scrawny-looking cord?
1: Well, the cord is normal if it's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm. So uh, if the baby's happy and growing well, and uh, remember we can measure the blood flow in the cord with ultrasound. Oh, yeah. Uh, So using Doppler technology, that's, you know, Doppler is technology related to how moving things reflect sound. And ultrasound is sound waves, and if we point it at the cord, we can graph how the sound waves are reflected by movement within the cord. And that can tell us a lot about how the flow is. Yeah. And the flow in those arteries in the cord will change if the placenta is too gritty, too small, too high resistance. Mm. And we often will see that in conditions like pregnancy-induced hypertension, so mum's blood pressure is too high, or preeclampsia. And it's part of the workup of a baby that's potentially too small Mm. or not being well nourished by the placenta. And in the third trimester, that's part of that whole process. If we're worried about a baby, if the baby's not growing properly, of continually asking ourselves in the third trimester, is this baby better off out than in? Mm-hmm.
0: So what is a cord accident? I've heard you talk about cord accidents before.
1: Uh oh, cord accidents, that's different. That's, a, that's a, um, a very, very sad situation where the baby can get tangled up in their own cord.
0: Or during birth or? Uh, n-
1: no, during the pregnancy itself. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it, it's a, a rare but still seen cause of uh, stillbirth.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And so how can a baby get tangled up in their cord?
1: Well, I think probably what happens is that the cord might get looped around the baby's neck oh. and then maybe twice and then maybe it gets tight. And then the fetus will kind of panic and, you know, move even more. Move even more. Mm. And then arms and legs can get involved and the baby can get tightly caught up in their own cord.
0: Oh, God, I could just imagine there's a wave of panic that's just gone over all our listeners Look, right now.
1: That's right. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a sort of a nightmarish um, scenario. It is real, but it's rare. Rare,
0: yeah. Yeah. Are any more are people more prevalent to having a cord accident?
1: Look, I don't think so. I just think that it's just one of those things that might be seen, and occasionally the cord around the neck might be picked up on ultrasound. Mm-hmm. But remember that the complexity is that that's not always abnormal.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Some people, some babies are born with the cord around their neck every day. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So that's if it's not tight and it's not troubling the baby, mm. then it's not really an abnormality.
0: Is it a problem with the, again, back to the anatomy, is it a problem if somebody's got a really super long umbilical cord?
1: Yeah, cord length is an interesting thing. It might relate to the risk of complications. If it's super long, the baby might be more likely to get tied up in it. Mm. And if it's very short, it might also be related To another rare complication, which is something called a uterine inversion, where the the baby comes out and then we're trying to get the placenta out. And if the cord is very short, then excessive traction on the cord might cause the uterus to kind of turn inside out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And that's associated with postpartum hemorrhage. And
0: And you keep saying rare. Like, do you know the stats on that?
1: Oh, look, these are things that we, both of those problems are things we might see once a year.
0: Once a year, yeah. 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 And I mean gosh, you're delivering hundreds oh, of babies a year. Y- yes, yeah.
1: but also in in all of Ballarat. Oh, you know. Right, okay. So, you know, that's sort of you know a, a once a year occurrence in a two thousand baby town. Yeah. Mm.
0: Is there anything a woman can do to keep her cord healthy?
1: Well, not i don't think specifically it's a good question i don't think specifically i think just um it's part of being well in pregnancy so managing blood pressure if it's there having the blood pressure checked yeah eating well exercising those sort of things that we know prom- smoking yeah absolutely non-smokers yeah yeah, yeah. so the really thin potentially insufficient cord is something we might see in a heavy smoker yeah, right. who also had a, a correspondingly small and insufficient placenta yeah. and unfortunately a correspondingly small and potentially unwell baby.
0: Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay, and what about cord knots? Like I've seen pictures of cord knots on Insta.
1: Yeah, that's another thing that people worry about yeah. but it is less serious than it looks. Mm-hmm. So there's something called a true knot where the baby swam around and actually tied a knot in the cord Yeah. But they're not often very tight.
0: Yeah, and they can slip. I've seen it. It slips up and down the umbilical cord.
1: Yeah, that's right. When the baby's out and the cord is clamped, you can put your finger inside the knot and just slide it up and down the cord. So that's how loose it is. Yeah. Yeah. And a loose cord knot is something we'll note, and that's called a true knot. It's an actual knot. Mm. And yes, they can be a cause of problems in labor. So for example, if the knot was tightish and it was affecting the flow of blood Mm. down the cord, then we might see that. Represented as an abnormal fetal heart rate trace in labour, that's yep. CTG. And sometimes, if we s- had a very abnormal CTG in labour mm-hmm. and we knew that everything else was okay, it was a well grown baby at term, one was labouring well and contractions weren't coming too hard or fast, but nonetheless, the mm. the CTG was highly abnormal. At the subsequent birth by cesarean section, you might notice an, a knot in the cord.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that's a true knot. And then there's another, there's another thing called a false knot, which is just a lump in the cord. Yeah. That looks like a knot, but it's not.
0: And now. all of these things, you kind of wouldn't know so much. Until the baby was born and you were able to look at the umbilical cord. Yeah.
1: So we examine the cord just like we examine the placenta. Mm. It's always cool to have a look at the cord and the placenta, but also there's a potential that we might find abnormalities. Mm. It might be worth sending the cord and the placenta off for a pathological examination. Mm. And all of that might be relevant to the woman's plan for next time. Yep.
0: Okay. My brain is still back stuck on the cord accident (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because that to me would be, uh, you know, and I did have that fear during- my pregnancy. I don't yes. know. It's, it's something that you kind of know, whether it's a myth. I remember my mom saying, look, Bridget, what are you doing hanging your washing up? Because yeah. if you put your arms above your head, you're going to make,
1: make it it not. a knot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, some of those sort of you know myths about pregnancy, some of them seem to be rooted in common sense, and some of them you have no idea how they got yeah. started. Yeah. yeah, So I can't imagine how that would make any difference at all. And I'm sure that's not true. Oh, well,
0: it got me out of doing washing, so happy. That's also fine. Yeah.
1: But I think some of these things, rare... Complications that kind of everyone's at the same risk. It's very rare, and we just don't happen to us. And mm. We ho- we just hope it doesn't happen to us. Mm. I think uh, we sometimes look for ways ar- around that. Like if I do this, I'll be at lower risk. Yeah, and that might be how some of those things got started. Yeah. People are thinking, well, I need I need something to make me feel like I'm at, I'm at less risk. But uh, I don't think there's anything that you can do or not do that, yeah. that decreases that chance. One of the things I guess you can do is that it's part of the importance of knowing about your baby's movements. Yeah. So we've covered in another podcast I think that was about,
0: I, I looked it up, episode 11. Yeah, yeah. So
1: So that's about fetal movements. And these days we've moved away a little bit from being obsessed with how many there are mm. to the pattern. Mm. And what we really want women to do at all possible after about 20 weeks is become aware of the pattern of fetal mm. movements. That seems to be very important. And a healthy baby- that's not tied up in its own cord should ideally have a pattern of movement that the woman can rely on. Mm. So if my baby always moves when, when, when I'm having breakfast and it always does, then things are fine. Mm. If it doesn't, I better start provoking some movements. And if I still can't, I better call my care providers. And that's uh, that's what we're, we're looking for. Mm. So theoretically, if a baby had a cord problem that might manifest itself in its early phases as, a, as decreased fetal movements... And theoretically, might only progress to stillbirth if we didn't do anything about it, Mm. yeah.
0: And I think um, we've said it before in that – just go back and have a listen to that episode, episode 11. I think it's a good one. It's pretty – I mean, it's vital and also between pregnancies. So you can't really compare yourself to other people um, and their pregnancies and you can't really compare – each pregnancy because our the difference between our third and fourth boy was so marked. And I think I might've even said that in the, and what the difference was, was the third boy, he was just a gymnast and yes. I, I was always reassured. He was always flipping around and, you know, kind of making a nuisance of himself. <laughs> yeah. But the fourth boy, I think he slept most of the time. He just didn't move, did he? And so I'd say, okay, Pat, let's- uh, Let's uh, at lunchtime. Can, can have a you listen. Have you listen? Mm. Uh, yeah. So, it, but one thing that did provoke movement always with Rex was uh, shower. Yeah, like he would always move in the shower. Yeah, so that's,
1: that's perfect. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, yep.
0: that's pretty important that we get that right. Well, I'm I'm going to move on then. I feel a bit sure. more better. Yep, yep. So the other thing that is a bit of an exciting uh, lights and sirens sort of moment is a cord prolapse, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So that's a sort of a hopefully a end of pregnancy thing. It's it's rare. It's you know uh, potentially dangerous, but usually well managed. Mm. And that's where waters break and the cord comes out instead of the head
0: yeah
1: cord comes out first
0: and why is that a problem
1: well it's not always a huge problem for the baby in that it's obvious if the cord's hanging out it gets woman you know if she's in the hospital we deal with it immediately mm-hmm. if she's out of the hospital she comes straight to the hospital because everyone knows it's not normal for the cord to be hanging out and things tend to get managed quickly and well mm. but what the cord will do if it's outside the body and cold is it can spasm yeah oh, right. and that can affect the flow down the cord, yeah, and uh, really upset the baby, yeah, yeah.
0: And sometimes that happens in really fast labours, and sometimes those really fast labours can happen at home accidentally. Yeah, theoretically, it's something yeah. that
1: could happen at home, and you know the appropriate management of that would be to put it back in the vagina. Poke so, it back in. Yeah, so great mm. loops of it don't tend to come out no, just a just little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. And the warmest place for the cord to be would be back in the vagina so yep. so you can push it back in and and hold it there. Yeah. And call an ambulance.
0: Ambulance and the ambos uh Excellent. Yeah. Yep. And that if it happens in it the
1: hospital it's always terribly exciting. Well usually it can't really be fixed when need to have birth by caesarean section. Yeah. You can't push it back up past enough. the head. Yeah. Yeah, enough exactly. So um so the midwife that finds the cord hanging out will typically push it back in and then the sit, buzzer goes. sit there on the trolley keeping it in. Oh wow. Uh, okay. While we run round to, whiz around a theatre and do a caesarean section.
0: Wow. What, up on the trolley with the woman? Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: Very dramatic.
0: <laughs> very dramatic. Mm.
1: And sometimes a, a cord prolapse will happen in the setting of a premature birth.
0: Yes, um, because there's more space. Well that,
1: yeah, that's right. The head yeah. isn't down. Maybe it's not down at all. Yeah. Or maybe it's down but still floating really high. Yeah. So the head hasn't formed a nice plug inside the pelvis like a term baby does. Mm. And there's plenty of room for the cord to flop around in front of the head mm. and, and come down the vagina.
0: Yeah, and so in your sort of career, how many times would you have dealt with a cord prolapse?
1: Oh, three or four. Yeah, and people
0: like, I mean, what did we work out the other day? You've nearly delivered 3,000 plus babies.
1: Something like that. So, you know, yeah, yeah, so you can see that it's, uh, you know, even in all my time at the Teaching hospital where I do my training. It's in a busy hospital, like the Royal Women's said back then, about 6,000 births a year. It wasn't something we saw that often. That often, yeah. yeah.
0: But what you do see a lot of is the cord wrapped around the neck.
1: You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy?
0: When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat.
1: We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts?
0: Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at.
1: It's taken us literally two years to put it together.
0: Two long, hard years, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given.
0: Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group.
1: We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? Uh, Pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four.
0: Oh, just all the people you need to hear from.
1: So if that's you... Come Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Absolutely, that yep. yeah, and and that's really a normal thing for the cord to be loosely around the baby's mm. neck when the head comes out mm. at a um, vaginal birth. Mm. And, you know, people sort of worry about that. But Mm -hmm. if everything's been going good, the fetal heart rate trace in labor or intermittent listening to the fetal heart with the handheld Doppler, Mm -hmm. that's all been normal. Then what it means is the cord's around the neck, but it's not tight and it's Mm -hmm. not upsetting the baby. Because
0: it's not as if that's cutting their throat off. That that's not where they're getting their oxygen from anyway. So anyway, that's yeah. right.
1: So we're not. it's not a, a matter of compressing the airway. Mm. It's that the cord, if it's very tight around the neck a few times, might not work very yes, well. Yes, it might yeah.
0: not have the oxygen and the, the oxygenated blood running in it properly. Flowing properly, yeah.
1: that's right. So the cord is actually really quite beautifully designed, though, so that even if your head comes out and the cord, even if the cord is trapped between the baby's front shoulder and the mother's pubic bone, if you can imagine that. Yeah. The way that the two arteries within the cord run run in a sort of a helical structure, sort of twisted structure, yeah. they, they're able to keep pumping. Yeah. So it's hard to obstruct the cord altogether. Yeah. Which is good because it gives you plenty of time then to feel over the head to see if there's any cord there. Yeah. And if there is, you loosen it off and flop it over the baby's head yeah. so that it's no longer around the neck and then ask the woman to push again and free the front shoulder.
0: So Pat's moving his hands around again, people. <laughs> we should make <laughs> this visual one day.
1: <laughs> so that's, um, that is something, that, a daily event on labour ward and not a pathological thing.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, uh, that does become family folklore a little bit. What about if it's wrapped, say, twice, which we've seen? Yeah, yeah.
1: Even so, um, yeah. if it's not tight, it shouldn't be a problem. But it's interesting if someone, if there's a abnormal fetal heart rate trace during the pushing phase. Yes. But... The woman is fully dilated. So she doesn't need a cesarean section, she'd be better having a instrumental birth. Yeah. To bring the pushing phase to a close quicker. Yeah. Because we're worried about the baby. But the baby's so far down and almost out that an instrumental birth is better than a Caesar. Yeah. Then you go ahead and do that instrumental birth, a vacuum forceps, whatever's required. It's interesting how often caught around the neck once or twice is the presumed explanation for the poor fetal heart rate trace. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you'll see it and you go, oh, there you go. That's there we why, go. That's, that's why, why we we're struggling. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So, because we are talking about the cord, I thought it'd be interesting to then talk about delayed cord clamping. Sure. Um, because this seems to be, I mean, gosh, we talk about a woman being empowered with knowledge, and this is definitely one thing that a woman can advocate for. Yeah. Just talk us through it. What happens?
1: So, delayed cord clamping is just the practice of basically waiting until the cord stopped. Pumping blood in the direction of the baby before you clamp it and cut it. Yeah, and uh, you know we used to we used to be in a bit too much of a hurry to yeah. do that. I think, and and there's plenty of good blood inside the cord, and it's rich in stem cells. Yeah, and it it turns out that they're better off in the baby. Yeah, than in the bin. Yeah. with the with the cord. So, um,
0: or if someone's chosen to take it home.
1: <laughs> well, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. But the, but the baby can use it. So when it first sort of started happening, I guess maybe seven eight years ago, a lot of obstetricians, including myself, thought that it was fine, It would, there wasn't a downside to do it, but we didn't really think there was going to be much upside.
0: Mm.
1: We were also worried that it might have increased the rate of jaundice. Oh, yep. Uh, if you've got a baby that's got, if you like, too much blood, mm. um, then the excess blood will break open and release the yellow pigment and that's what jaundice is. So we thought that if we gave the baby too much blood by that way that we'd increase the rate of jaundice. Mm. And it, it's turned out to, to not have a, a very important, effect on the number of babies with jaundice Mm. and that any extra jaundice that it does cause is relatively easy to treat with those lights. Mm, The benefits
0: outweigh the risks. Yes,
1: absolutely. And the benefits are probably something we're just starting to learn more about now.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've read something. I've got the the stats all wrong, but it can um, have that baby's iron stores for the first few months of life. Yeah, more
1: iron, more blood volume. There's a fair bit of volume in the because it's not that much blood in a newborn baby anyway. Yes. So what's sitting in the cord is actually a useful amount. A big the percentage baby. of yeah. the
0: baby's blood. Oh.
1: And then exactly the benefit of the stem cells, watch this space. Yeah. yeah. So it's easy to do. And really the only scenario where it really can't theoretically be done is if the parents wish to donate or collect the cord blood for storage.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Because
1: you can't empty it into the baby And and storage. Yeah. Yeah, It's one or the other. Yeah. Um, So that's a problem. And then the other scenario that makes it difficult is if there's some other sort of emergency going on. Yeah. So, for example, if the woman's having a postpartum hemorrhage. Yes. Then the first thing you want to do to get that hemorrhage under control is to get the placenta out. Yes. Yeah. And that's difficult to do with the baby still attached. Mm. So you you might clamp and cut the cord, forego the benefits of the delayed cord clamp, and then put traction on the remaining bit of the cord to help the placenta come out. Mm-hmm. And that's a scenario that can happen at vaginal birth, and unfortunately, it's a bit more common at cesarean section birth, because the cesarean section is a bloody operation. You know, there's mm. there's blood around, and and if the uterus is bleeding too much at Caesar immediately after the baby comes out, then again, the way to stop that is to get the placenta out. Mm. So that might require the baby to be the cord clamped and the baby passed over the paediatrician a little earlier than we wanted. Mm. But, if we can control that bleeding by other means by like putting clamps on things mm. then uh we can wait did that it, did that last night just waited until the at a cease last night, just waited until the um the cord had stopped pumping, yeah, and all of the blood was and as much as possible of the cord blood was down in the baby, maybe took a minute yeah, it's then, not long, that's no, the other no, thing it's yeah, yeah. and then uh, clamp and cut and as long and the baby was crying, mm. and mum wasn't bleeding, mm. so it's a rush, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's becoming a standard at vaginal births and increasingly acceptable at caesarean section. Yeah, Hmm.
0: yeah. And it's still worthwhile, the woman putting it in a birth plan, though, isn't it? Absolutely. Just to make sure that everybody's on that page. And, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Because when I say standard, I mean, not everywhere and not every day. Yes. Uh, so if it's something that um, mums have read something about mm-hmm. and like the sound of, mm. as a potential healthy thing that can do for the baby that's not risky, then we should do that. So let us know.
0: Yep. So this you mentioned just briefly about the cord blood. So there's two things you can do with the cord blood. You can either donate the cord blood mm-hmm. and then that goes into like a public cord blood bank.
1: Yes. So they collect some for research purposes and some for a publicly run cord bank. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which can be used later on for?
1: Yeah, for matched donations. Yeah. So potentially if a child got uh, leukemia or something, then it may be possible in some circumstances to use a a donation of cord blood stem cells Mm. from a bank.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And somebody doing that might be motivated by- altruism or, or yep. why would somebody want to do that
1: yeah altruistic donation that's what it's all about now not every hospital collects for that purpose though yeah so collections tend to be done in big city hospitals where they're set up for it and where they've got a huge number of births per year yeah and can collect a lot of blood yeah so if you are at a smaller community hospital, uh, regional country hospital, whatever, and they don't offer that service, don't panic, because the service has enough blood.
0: Yes. yeah, yeah.
1: They're getting enough from city hospitals for that yeah. purpose.
0: But somebody might have it in their birth plan that if, for some reason, I can't have delayed cord clamping, then I'm willing to do cord blood donation. Is it something that you have to consent for?
1: Yes, but don't panic if it's not offered at your hospital. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I
0: think that's important. And then some, you know, you see it advertised. Some people, uh, there's big companies that will store your cord blood.
1: Yeah. This is the one I'm I'm probably least in favour of, I don't mind saying. I don't usually try to talk people out of it, but I do suggest that they think carefully about the likely return on that investment. that's mm. it, it costs a lot of money. Mm. And of all the cord blood that's privately banked, I think that you have to have a look at how many people have actually needed to use it mm. and whether that's value for money. Mm. It's one of those insurance things that if you've done it and your baby runs, runs into trouble later on, you'll be glad you had it. Yeah. But for most people who never use it, It's very expensive.
0: It is very expensive. I did look it up. And so I think um, these are prices from a company. And uh, I think it's if you want 20 years of storage, it's about $3,500 upfront. Yeah. But if you're paying it off in payments over those 20 years, it's like nearly six grand.
1: If you keep, yeah, pay it off in installments. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, Potential problems is if you've paid a lot of money, for example, to store it over the first ten years, mm. then you might think that there's a fair bit of sunk cost in that. Yeah, so you keep might going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. But so this is
0: a choice again. Like absolutely. if this all is, yeah, if yeah. this is something, maybe you've had a family member with leukemia. I don't know whether is leukemia hereditary.
1: Oh well, in kids mostly not. Yeah. So I think that if you go into spending that sort of money on that sort of product, it might be wise to learn a little bit about the frequency of these diseases. Yeah. Yeah. So that you're not buying an expensive insurance policy for something that's actually terribly rare. Mm. Yeah.
0: Because there's, you know, there's expenses all along the way right. and, and you've just got to weigh everything up and say, well, what's important for me and our family? Absolutely. And-
1: so I'm not against it per se, yeah. but I am in favour of some critical thinking about whether that's the right way to go. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yep. Great. Well, I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to everything about the umbilical cord. If yeah, we've
1: f- we've lumped a few things in together yeah, yeah. there that aren't sort of strictly related, but they've all got the cord in <laughs> common. Yeah. They've
0: all got the cord in common. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
1: it just seemed like a neat way of discussing that amazing structure that that is the cord, that connection between mother and baby, and covering some of those things that people read about and come up.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, continue with the conversation with us when we post this. Let's chat over on Instagram, which is at grow underscore my underscore baby. We love hearing. From Yeah, send us a DM, tell us what you think about everything the umbilical cord.
1: And we'll talk to you next time.
0: See you now.